You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron and I have one goal here. I say this all the time, but it's so true and so fun. My job is to bring you great information, best practices from the best minds in dentistry to help you improve your practice and your life. And we're going to keep doing that. And today I have a special human being on here. His name is Dr. Jerry Kugel. And if you've ever met him or if you've ever seen him speak, this guy's a great guy. And he's a straight shooter. And I said, Jerry, where do you want to go today? And we're going to be covering a lot of topics in the future. But he said, let's talk about how technology is influencing dental education and a few other things. So please check this out. I know you'll love it. And we'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practice Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barrett, and I have the distinct pleasure and fun and job of like just finding great information and great speakers and great influencers so that when you guys show up, hopefully we give you a, something good to think about and go back and improve your practice and your life. And so today I have Dr. Jerry Kugel on here who has been an incredible uh, influence in the profession. And you and I have met a couple times. I don't know if you remember the time at Hinman. And, um, good story, but, right? I didn't do anything bad, did I? But no, 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 no. When I had hair, I used to sneak into your room and I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing. And so today we're going to be talking about an interesting topic, which is how technology is changing dental education. And uh, I want, Jerry, I want people to know your story because you're kind of a unique person in the education space. So if I'm a young dentist listening and I'm, I don't know who you are, so give us your story. So my story, where do I begin? Uh, um, well, I'll tell you, I go back pretty far on my story. If you want to know the whole story, I, I you know, I grew up a poor kid okay. and um, my dad died uh, when we were young. My mom had um, three kids and was pregnant with my younger brother. So when my uh, younger brother was born, my dad had passed away six months earlier. Point being, we lived in a two bedroom apartment and we didn't have dental care. So one of the reasons I always feel that I need to be concerned about underserved as I was the underserved. She didn't have money. She was young. She was 10 years younger than my dad. He had been in the service, uh, had suffered a little bit in the service and died later on at a VA hospital. 
So we had all our dental care at a dental school. And God bless, and it closed, because we could talk about dental education. My dental work was all done at Fairleigh Dickinson Dental School as a kid. Um, so all my work, including my, <laughs> you got to go back to technology, my gold onlay done over a root canal when I was 15, and I'm 22 now. So you wow. can imagine how long uh, that's been in. <laughs> um, so I always had a connection to dentistry, even as a young guy. Um, as I got older, I shifted out of that interest a little bit. Then when I went to college, uh, I went to graduate school and I decided I was at Cornell doing a doctorate in neurobiology, believe it or not. And my advisor got a job at Tufts, came to Tufts with my advisor. My advisor said one day, hey, you know, they're looking for DMD PhD students over at the dental school. And that was the time I started it a while ago, it's in the 70s. PhDs weren't getting jobs. So my story was went over to the dental school. Dean said, apply. I was a walk-in. Next thing you know, I'm in dental school. But in dental school, I ended up standing out as a clinical student, not realizing that that would be the case. I think I was a good clinical student. My faculty used to tease me, why are you doing that research junk? <laughs> so my background is interesting. So I got into education a little bit through the back door, if you want to call it. I wasn't so much planning on being a dentist. Uh, did a walk-in, applied to a couple of dental schools, got into a couple of dental schools, ended up at Tufts because that was where I was going to be focused. And I stayed there, but um, it was probably the best decision I ever made because I've always been in private practice as well as in academia. So my academic career has been interesting in that I've always practiced dentistry. I'm more well-known in my region as a clinical dentist in the Boston area. Um, we have a big practice. I see a lot of patients. So I, I see both sides of it. I see the academic end of things. I've seen all the technology. I've been involved in technology forever, going back to the early comment you made. Yeah. So um, partly because of my research experience, I've had to look at technology from a research standpoint. Uh, even the early CAD CAM, we, we got involved in CAD CAM way back when it was an infant, uh, got involved with some new technology, some of the early scanners, the, the early Lava COS scanner. We did a lot of the research I published back in 2000 and five, six on those scanners. And because I was doing research in my office, I shifted them into the private practice. So we did CAD CAM for years. We scan. Um, I'm big on 3D printing now. I think dental education has been a little bit behind. Yeah. Because, and, and I'll ask you, what do you think they're behind? What's one, one major reason we don't see the big technology push in dental schools? I don't know. You tell me like expense. It's yeah. expensive. Technology is costly. In my private practice, different story. You know, you're at a school that's got 200 kids, 150 kids. It's expensive. Uh, and secondly, your faculty, which sounds funny. You've got an older faculty who haven't embraced technology. Yeah. So I think technology and dental education has always lagged a little behind. Yeah. Um, so it's expense. It's training. Uh, we have some good young faculty where I teach now and they're bringing technology into the, the education process. But you know, even the dental community, when you think about it, I mean, if you go into dental offices, I always ask in my lectures, I lecture all the time, you know, the Hinman I did again this year, the Yankee, the ADA, I just came back from the CDA, and I lecture on, on digital printing, on 3D printing, digital dentistry. I'll say, how many of you have printers? 100 people, 20 hands go up. Yeah. Now, it used to be when I would ask how many had, had uh, scanners, I'd get that response. Now I'm seeing way more hands go up. Right. Uh, CAD CAM. 20 out of 100 hands go up. So even though technology, we talk about it, it still hasn't been totally in incorporated into the dental community, kind of the way you would think. And even artificial intelligence now, you know, you're getting these software packages that can diagnose caries for us. Yeah. Um, 
I'm designing my night guards using AI software and then printing night guards. So I'm not doing the design. It's being designed through artificial intelligence. Um, yeah. So I think it's kind of a cool time to be a dentist in some ways, maybe a little scary in others. Yeah. And I want to ask you about each one of those. And you're a straight, you guys will love this because Jerry's a straight shooter. He's just going to give it to you straight. So I want to go back to uh, just a couple of things because, you know, and let's debunk some of these myths. And you have a very strong opinion about it. Like, you know, when people say, oh, people, you know, faculty in dental school, they don't know how the real practice. Now you're a unique person. You teach at a dental school. Um, but you also own a private practice. So give us your opinion when some when you hear somebody says, oh, a faculty at dental practice doesn't have X, Y, Z. I think that bothers me a lot. I mean, Tell me why. We, well, because I used to hear that. Well, you're yeah. in practice. I remember being at a meeting one time, at a, a KOL meeting. This is a while ago. And I was always practicing a couple of days a week. And I had somebody say, well, you guys in academia don't understand. And this is a person who basically lectures every day of the week. And I remember getting up and I was probably 40. So it was a while ago. And I said, you know, I find it funny you're saying that. I've seen your lecture schedule. I said, given your lecture schedule, I promise you, I see more patients in a week than you do. <laughs> so don't assume because I'm at an ed I'm teaching at a university. I don't know dentistry. Right. And probably the finest clinicians I've worked with have been faculty members at universities. Now, you know, you can teach, you could be at a university. It doesn't mean you're full time. We have in my practice, we have a number of faculty members that work two and a half days at the university. They're in practice the remainder of the time. So I think that myth is a myth. Um, mm -hmm. And sure. I, by the way, I've seen some pretty lousy dentistry from dentists working five days a week. So right. five days a week doesn't mean you're a better dentist. Um, what means you're a better dentist is you take the care, you learn, you read, you practice and you're humble. Right. And you know that you can always improve. I tell dental students I learn every day. Um, it, it doesn't matter how many years I've had under my belt in dentistry. Uh, I learned. That's why I embrace technology at my age. I'm an old guy. And for an old guy, you know, if you come into my office, we, everything is, you know, we have, we're scanning, we're printing everything now. We, you know, we were doing CAD CAM. I tend to shy away from it because of my schedule and time, but we were doing CAD CAM for years. I was. Yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting comment and it, why it bothers me because it hits home a little bit when I hear that. Yeah. And so uh, I have so many questions for you. We could easily make this a three hour show. So um, I want to talk about this too. So you mentioned this before we hit the go button. You know, if I'm a young dentist, listen, uh, Dr. Kuba, like you've seen a lot and you also have to keep your brain a little bit open. <laughs> you know, technology's changed. You said the PF, like there was a point where you thought the PFM was dead. <laughs> talk about that. Can you mention well, that? Prior to that, when we started doing, we did early work on zirconia. I remember the first time they brought a zirconia coping in. Yeah. It was in a 3M brought it to us. And we did the clinical testing on that. It wasn't even on the market. Right. I took the zirconia. When 3M left, I took a hammer and I was in the lab, the research lab at the university. It was a materials lab. And I put a piece of, of wood on the floor. I took the hammer. I tried to smash the coping and I could not break it. As a matter of fact, I, at one point I hammered it into the, the wood. And I said, wow, this is pretty amazing stuff. But even then, I never would have assumed. And that was a coping with porcelain on it. Right. So the problem with the original Lava COS was the porcelain broke, the copings didn't. You look at the data now from like Glidewell, 80, well, I'm going to give you the numbers. It's probably approximately 90% of their work is, is zirconia. It's, yeah. it's not, and between Emacs, which is still out there, and zirconia, PFMs are dead. If you told me as if you told me 15 years ago, it's probably one of the biggest paradigm shifts in dentistry that I ever saw. I mean, I'm wearing I've got four gold onlays, and I'll be buried with those gold onlays. Yeah. And I'm still a lover of gold, 
but it's not here. And I hate to say it. What was the main reason Sakonia took off? Cost. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to give lectures and say to the audience, talking about changes, I'd say, how many of you have read one article? This is a while ago on Zaconia when it was new and we were testing it. I said, how many are you using it? All hands would go up or, or two thirds. And I'd say, how many have read an article and nobody put their hand up? I said, I'm just making a comment. You're using it every day in your practice and you haven't read an article on it. It, it, you know, and I could go back to some of the old stuff like art class. Nobody read an article on art class, but they all broke. Uh, Dicors, they broke. Fiber reinforced bridges, they broke. So we've had technology that looked good in the beginning, but at the end of the day, we paid a price for that. I mean, but Zirconia, to pay it, to pay it a compliment, I have never seen a material hold up as well over this period of time, mm-hmm. other than gold, of course, even PFMs. So, um, yeah, it's, that's a very interesting change. And we were talking about it earlier. Those kind of, I could tell you a hundred stories. I remember when Denton bonding was going on and I was head of the department at a, three years out of dental school, I was head of the department at the, the operative department. And it was hard because I'm dealing with old faculty. And I remember I decided we we're going to do posterior composites and Denton bonding. And I had a bunch of old time faculty walk into my office and they were my age back then. And I was the young guy. And they said, we're, we, we are not going to teach composite poster composites or denton bonding and i got up from behind my desk and i said guys you don't understand this is not a democracy you're going to teach it so even a technology that we take for granted today which is bonding to denton posterior composites there was a time when that was very controversial right and i lived through that those battles um so i've seen a lot of things come and go i've seen technology that People thought was going to be art class was going to change dentistry. You're going to bond composite to metal. I remember speakers, and I can name them, by the way, who would get up and say, this is the future. This will replace. I remember speakers getting up talking about fiber reinforced bridges and the cover of every journal back in the 90s had a fiber reinforced bridge on it. Uh, You know, they make good temporary bridges or a kid missing, you know, laterals can generally missing laterals is until they can get an implant. But and another thing is implants. When I started in, in the 80s, I restored implants actually early on. But now, I mean, everybody's placing implants and it's commonplace. I'm not saying it's good. Everybody's placing them, by the way. Right, right, right. For sure. For sure. And you've seen a lot of these, you know, things come and go. And again, I think one of the things is just always be learning. And it was probably, I've been 25 years now, 20 years ago, you start to hear a few of your favorite speakers say, listen, I want to say something today. Put, put a date next to it. And those were the people I liked the most because Absolutely. what that meant was I reserved the right to change my mind in a year or two as this evolves. You were always a little cautious of the absolute, you know, and people, the right? I'm with you, Craig. And the guy or gal who gets up and says, this is the must-have product. I get that all the time. <laughs> um, you have to have, no, there is no must-have. I could hand right. you five different composites and you would be fine with, with those. I mean, they probably, there's, 20 of them out there, bonding agents. I get all the time. What's the best bonding agent? There's a lot of good bonding agents out there. So I think, I think you're right. When you get, and we get, we're jumping a little bit here, but if you get a speaker out there who's telling you, this is what you have to have, you're right. The good speakers will say, this is what I feel right now, based on my opinion, I, this could change. And it, right. a lot of those speakers who, who were so adamant about certain things, um, they pay a price for that. Well, maybe they don't pay as big a price as they should, right. um, but they do pay a little bit of a price. Uh, and, and you always have to take it with a grain of salt, you know, because you don't know how that speaker is getting supported. Right. Um, you should know it. It's supposed to be disclosed. I have no issue with corporate support. 
Kirk, if you go, if you're out there and somebody's supporting you and you disclose it, I'm fine. What, what totally. I don't like is the ones who get out there and, and hide it from an audience. That's a little scary. So totally. take it with a grain of salt. Do your own. I always say, don't be the first on the block. Don't be the last on the block. Right. You know, you do a little homework. Listen a little bit. I got into Zirconia because I was doing research. In the early days, I was not a huge fan of Zirconia. I thought it was opaque. Um, I didn't like the look. I'll tell you one other funny story. I remember being out at 3M when they were developing their Zirconia copings and they put porcelain because they said, oh, it looks good. And it did. Didn't hold up, but it looked good. I remember turning to one of the technicians in the research lab and saying, now you got to remember how long ago this was. This is before Zirconia was being used. I said, could you give me a full contour Zirconia crown? And the guy starts laughing at me. He goes, who would ever want that? And, you know, you think in hindsight that that person really was being a bit foolish because everybody wants them now. Mm -hmm. So technology changes, keep your eyes and ears open and be careful. And and if you're going to jump on a bandwagon, you better make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. And you know, Uchi Odiatu. So Uchi always says this. He's like, listen, Kirk, we're going to be watching this stuff 40 years from now. And we're going to watch this old stuff and go, I can't even believe we subscribed to that back then now knowing what we know. So I think just stay curious. Um, I do want to talk about the technology thing. Now, I what's so fun for me, I can see this being multi-episodes with you, Jerry. I just can dish you the questions. So I get all these questions. I don't know. Like, so here when technology, what do we need to know about technology in dental education and dental schools? Here's another question. I'll throw 30 of them at you. There's a big push now to move this to three years instead of four. And there's only so many schools. I mean, so that's one thing because of cost. The next one is, um, well, let's start with those two. So some schools can afford the technology. Some can't. Um, oh, here's another one. Question number three, analog digital. What happens when kids go digital too fast? So I'll just keep throwing them at you. You pick one. The three-year thing is an interesting one because, you know, a number of schools now, the school in Utah just announced they're going to go three-year. Um, we have U of P, which has been a successful three-year program for years. There's another new dental school that suggested it's going to go three years. And I, I'm... I swing both ways. I mean, these kids coming out of school, when you and I were in school and I was in school uh, 10 years before you, I guess, when I was in school, we didn't have to learn adhesive bonding. We didn't have to learn CAD cam. We didn't have to learn about implants. Um, we, our perio was limited. I mean, now we're doing much more with these kids. Um, we had no digital scanners to train them. Um, so things have changed dramatically in terms of how much they have to learn. The problem, I think, the pros and cons, the three-year programs from a student standpoint would be great. I don't want to spend, if I can get out in three years, save a year of tuition, get a year of income, that's great. The key to that is the schools have to be able to teach and the curriculums have to be very tight. So you need a student body that's got a, a you know, a pretty a good soul and is willing to work their butts off because um, going three years, and that doesn't mean, so you don't get a summer break. They're also extending the class, the class time. So those kids are starting at, you know, eight in the morning and they're going to six at night because the credit hours are what determines whether or not they'll be accepted by quota. Uh, at the end of the day, though, there are benefits. You come out less money in debt. I mean, the kids are coming out of school. I had a kid come in to talk to him at the time. He said, Dr. Kugel, you'll, maybe you'll find this funny. I want advice. And I do teach. I'm two days a week. I teach students. So they see me and I'm an associate dean. I don't need to do this, but I love teaching. 
and I lecture a lot, but the point is the kid comes in, he goes, that's cool. I need your advice. I don't know what he wants to talk about. I was $700,000. What should I do? And my answer was make a lot of money mm-hmm. because I don't know what else to tell. And what was I going to tell this poor kid? Right. Um, and so if you come out with 700,000 in debt, that's a big nut to crack. And, you know, and then, you know, you got all the DSOs opening up and that's a whole different ball game. You know, the old mom and pop dental offices are disappearing. I mean, we get an email a day from a DSO trying to buy us. Uh, and at the end of the day, if you and I are partners in practice and I get a better offer from a DSO and they're going to offer me 20% more than some young dentist out of dental school who owes 500000 is trying to get a loan, doesn't own a house, doesn't own a car yet, that kid kid's going to have a hard time. So if we can make their education more reasonable, get them out faster. But the challenge is, can you do it? Can you do it correctly? And can they come out well-trained? I don't know. Yeah. I will say one last thing. Most of these new dental schools don't have specialties. So one advantage to that, the negative is you don't have the training from the specialist. The, ne- the positive is you don't lose your patients to the specialty, uh, to the yeah. grads. And most of the major schools, if you and I are dental students in a new dental school and we have a big crown and bridge case, we get to do it. Right. At the bigger dental schools, that goes to the process department and the residents do it. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be an interesting next 10 to 20 years in dental education. Right. And I'm all for just talking about like starting. Now, um, let's, cu- let's couple that because I want to go on to our next, our, our other questions. But go back to what you and I were talking about before we went live, which is you have a special place in your heart for the underserved, for the military. You give a lot of time and those people don't get the care that they have. And now dental schools, some of them have used the word clinics in some of the underserved. Can you explain what that is so people know what that is? Yeah, I think what's happening with the new dental schools is that... Um, one of the ways these are getting approved is that they're looking at serving the underserved and they're using that. And, and so people are saying, well, you're putting out too many dentists. Well, you're putting out a fair number of dentists. And we were talking earlier about this. The number is from the 80s. We dropped dramatically. Now we're getting back pretty much to the 80 numbers, maybe a little higher. But um, these clinics are opening their clinics and really committing to help the underserved. Now, the graduates coming out that owe 500 grand to go and work in an underserved community is not that easy to do. Right. As big as your heart may be, you got to pay the loan back. I'm a realist. Um, these schools are now saying, what we're going to do is, all right, maybe we're going to graduate dentists that aren't going to work in those underserved communities, but we're going to have our clinics in those underserved communities. And I think that's a big plus. You know, Arkansas announced they're opening a school because they have a huge underserved population. Um, they're opening another one in California, but the reason they're doing, or they're talking about it, those dental schools are are going into those communities to help the underserved. I think there's a value to that. Right. Um, I, and I do a lot of work with the vets. And we were talking earlier, um, you know, we like to do these trips to, you know, we're going we're gonna to go to Latin America. And I've been to Dominican a number of times. I've been to Ecuador to do dentistry. I can go five blocks to the homeless shelter here or the transitional housing shelter. And I do go, we go, we were going once a month and, and then we COVID hurt us, but we're back. And we have Brighton Marine here, which is a center where it's a low income uh, housing unit for veterans. We go and screen those guys and gals. And it's amazing how little dental care they get. So right in your own backyard, we do Vet Fridays in my practice and we post it uh, every other Friday. Dr. Anderson and I uh, try to bring a vet in. We're doing dentures on one guy right now because he can't get dentures and technology. We're doing printed try-in dentures for these guys. And the beauty is 
those printed tri indentures, now that we're getting them, used to be able to do them, they were just one color, they were white. Now we can get printed tri indentures that look like dentures. Our new push is getting those dentures in their mouth, those printed dentures as a permanent denture. It's cheap, it's easy. And that's where technology gets to be fun. We're working with some of the companies on this. Uh, Lee Culp has helped us with some of this with, um, and he's been giving his time to help us with some of the vets by doing dentures for them. Uh, Ivo Clark chipped in and, and paid for uh, one of the dentures. Now it's gonna be two of them, which is expensive. I bring this up because you talk about dental education. We talk about the three-year programs. We talk about why they're opening. Everybody says we're putting out too many dentists. And without getting myself into too much trouble, we may be, but there is still a huge chunk of this population, five blocks from me is one of them, who can't get dental care. 100%. So, so as much as I, I see both sides of it, I don't want to lose my income, but maybe my heart's bigger than uh, my wallet. I also don't want those people to suffer because I was one of those people at one point. Yeah. Couldn't get yep. dental care. And my yeah. mother, I mean, scrapped, took everything she could to get us our dental care so that we as, you know, poor kids didn't suffer. Um, I remember working at the Boston City Hospital doing a rotation and a young 14-year-old girl with her mom came into the clinic and we had to do an externship. I don't know if you had to. And I spent six weeks at a Boston City Hospital and I was told to extract her tooth that needed a filling. Not that she couldn't have saved the tooth. There was no resources back then to take care of that tooth, that molar. And I refused. I told the director of the program that I wouldn't pull the tooth. Um, and I didn't get that. The person, she understood why I wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't do it. And I, right. we're talking 39 years ago, 38 years ago. And I'm still telling you these stories. Yeah. So look, I love our dental education system. I love our country. <laughs> yeah. We still need to take care of these people. And, you know, if you're worried about it, taking money out of your wallet, I don't think you need to worry. If you're a good dentist, I'm not going to lose income because... People are we're, we're treating the underserved or that we're putting dentists or dental schools in those areas. Um, I, you know, we're getting better, but we're not there. Yeah. I love what you're saying, buddy. I love what you're saying. And we all know that like it improves everybody's life, the quality of their life. You know, dentistry is one of the best things you could possibly do for another human being. And Absolutely. what a great gift it is. So well, you're going to see, by the way, when you go to these vets, it's mind boggling how much dental need they have. Right. And these guys served our country. And they're in pain. I mean, how do we let somebody, number one, we forget them because they're living in shelters. Um, and on top of that, their teeth are literally falling out of their heads. Right. Um, just spend a day, come and visit and spend a day screening these guys and gals and walk out of there telling me we're doing a good job. Yeah. And I know the Veterans Administration's trying. It's not easy. And I was saying earlier to you, and I, know if I, I can't remember if I said it when we were being taped, the vets only get dental care if they're fully disabled. Otherwise, they're on the state benefits. So it's we all have this weird notion in America that the vets all are walking around getting their dentistry done. It's not happening. Yeah. And there are a lot of schools, a lot of people, not just me, lots of people involved in this. A lot of dentists giving their time to the vets. And I'm, I'm proud of it. And I'm seeing it get bigger and bigger as time goes on. Vet Smile program, schools like NYU are treating the vets at no charge. Uh, we're starting at, at our school. We're bringing vets in at a discount. So it's getting better, but it's yep. not. It's not good enough. Yeah, Jerry, you're doing a great job. I always say this, teachers and vets, those guys should have separate lines for everything. They should always go first. You know, those are the heroes. So- uh, With you, I'm with you, buddy. I don't have any answers. All I have is just questions. And so, you know, I, I want to dish them to you. And then so, um, and I do want to ask you the question, like how is technology changing 
dental schools. I mean, you not only there's the school you're in, but like other schools and 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 what are you seeing in that respect? Well, yeah, I'm saying we're, we're going, everything's going digital now, not analog. I mean, we're teaching our kids. Matter of fact, as we speak, we're getting emails about training the faculty on digital scanning. And I think it's a funny when you're, when you're educating the young kids today, um, you and I may have more trouble. If I gave you a scanner and I'm, I'm, let's assume you don't know how to scan or a, or a CAD cam or a printer, you know, you're going to sit there and struggle. You give it to these 20 something year olds and my God, in five minutes, they, they're scanning. Uh, I bring students in to work sometimes in my office and during COVID, some of them came in and they picked up scanning so fast. Um, I, right now, I 31 of my dental assistants, 31, maybe it's 32 or dentists. They were my assistants, they're dentists. And I remember Lindsay, uh, one of my, uh, I'll mention her name, Dr. Dr. Fox now out in Colorado. She was my dental assistant. And when we first learned to do, we were doing CAD CAM, we had the E4D, we had to go for a training. And Lindsay is doing the scanning. She's, and I'm there, you know, oh, I'm pulling it too far away. I'm freezing the image. And I said, Lindsay, I, I'm embarrassed. She's such cool. Don't worry, you'll get it. Like, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> so we are training these kids. And I said to you earlier, the faculty need to learn because the faculty are older. But we're going digital because the scans are accurate. And I've done research. I mean, anybody who says digital scanning is not accurate, it's easier, it's accurate. I have a file. If my patient comes in I, and I have a, we do printing in my office and we do it at the school, I can print that patient's model. I, I'm printing night guards. We're doing surgical guides. Um, we're now printing dentures. So it's changing. We're not as fast in some respects in dental education because it's so expensive. I mean, if you and I were both teaching, you're part-time, let's say, at a dental school, and you're raving about technology. Oh, CAD CAM's great, great. Now you got 150, 200 kids, 250 kids. How do you get the technology into all those hands? It's expensive. You know, HapTech, we had demos on how to do HapTech training for the preclinical. And it's fabulous technology, but it's, you know, you're looking 100 grand for a unit. Right. So. I think it's happening in dental education, at least the better schools. It's happening slower than I'd like because it's costly. The dental companies can only do so much to help. They can't be handing equipment to everybody. So it will happen. And we are going digital. Most schools are because it's the way to go. Um, and I always say, look, and I'm, I'm not telling you, I can do a great job with a, a polyvinyl, you know, siloxane impression. Uh, you know, they do a great job. But in this day and age, if, you, if they're sitting in front of you, and you've got an impression material and you've got a scanner. If you don't grab that scanner, then you're just living in the dark ages. I mean, you, yeah. Yeah, you got your head in the sand. Yeah. Uh, there's no way it's it's better to be doing my patients love. They think you're they think you're a better dentist, even if you're not because you're right. digital. They love to see the technology. And they're always saying to me, that's why I come here, Dr. Kugel. You know, yeah. you're, you know all this stuff. So I think dental education's on its way. Um, I think it's tough. Um, I do think that one of the things these some of the smaller schools have an advantage at some level, because if you've got 40 students getting technology in their hands isn't so bad. Uh, when you've got the big schools that are a little harder to work with, it becomes a challenge. Um, yeah. But it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. You know, I, again, I, I get a chance to work with all these schools. And I don't have these answers. So when I go down there, like, um, let's pretend I'm just a new grad. Jerry, where do I go next? Like, you know, I mean, do you have an opinion or thoughts? Like you've, you've, you've seen a lot of these kids grow. Like what are some of your favorite paths that you see? Uh, you know, it's funny. I've seen a lot of them grow and I've seen them, you know, in, I'm working with uh, a Dr. Anderson now who was my student mm -hmm. and he published two papers with me. Dr. Uh, Chad Anderson, Chad who I know very well. You know great exactly. guy. Great yeah. guy. Chad's out in California. Chad said, 
I want to practice in Boston. I'll fly in. He flies in every other week. God bless him to be 49 again or 48. I don't want to age him too much. So I work with all the young dentists. We have a young Dr. Kim who I laugh at. She, we exposed her to technology. So she was showing Chad and I how to print. She's 29 or whatever, 28. And she's saying we're, we're doing our first night guards. And she's, she's like, right, click, click, click. And Chad and I both say, whoa, whoa, Dr. Kim, slow down. We're not 20, you know, we got to follow you. So I would say to a young dentist, get into a good situation in a good practice, never stop learning. And when you owe 500,000, that's easy for me to say, mm-hmm. find some good educators that are, not, that are not, you know, bought and sold by corporations that you can latch on to. I went to the Dawson Center when I was a young graduate and uh, spent, and I became good friends with Pete Dawson. Uh, so much so I went to Nantucket with him for uh, a vacation one time. Pete took me under his wings as a young, didn't charge me to take the program back then. Uh, there are programs, and I know you have John Cranham on here, and I love John. There are programs like that, you know, uh, that are not going to break the bank. You know, the Pankey Center uh, is a, a great uh, program, and it's got some great people down there, you know, running that program. So I think there are places young graduates need to go. Um I tell young graduates as well, one of the regrets I always have is I restored implants since the 80s. I've never placed implants. Be well-trained. Placing single-tooth implants with a surgical guide is not that complicated. So those are the things I tell them. Get trained. I always joke, once you learn to do basic implants, and I have I have two surgeons in my practice, so they do, and Chad does implants as well. Um, I don't want to place them at this point. I wish I had done it earlier. Take the courses, but do it the right way. Learn yeah. about occlusion because most of these kids get very little on occlusion. Right. And I, this question came up. I was just at the CDA and I had a lot of young dentists in my class. I'm yeah. shocked how many young dentists are in there. And that was the question. Dr. Cool, what do I do? Where should yeah. I go? Well, and let me let me let me piggyback on that whole question because this this is another question that you get all the time. So you hear the the term superdontist and you hear all that stuff. I mean, I I just want to sort this out. So I've already gotten a sense of it as I listen to you chat. I will tell you personally, it's just never good to do things that you don't enjoy. It's just not like ah. it. And so you get these kids and you get them too, and you see a young GP and they go, "I love endo," and you go, "No, you don't." And they go, "I do," and you go, "No, you don't." I mean, and there's a few that do, but like, take us into that. Like, like, I, yeah, I think that's an interesting comment. I, I used to. It's funny you bring up endo. I used to do all my own endo. I, I worked on a. I lucked out. I got into a really good practice right out of school. Okay. Um, Dr. Ganim, he's, he's, we're still friends. And he jokes about, I was his first associate. And then he tells me he stopped taking associates because then it was a compliment. He says, I I thought they'd all be you. Um, And he was really good. So the the reason I bring him up, um, he, he got me into a situation where I was being taught the right way. So I think so much of it is, you know, getting on the right track. But he had me doing endo because he said, oh, and I like doing endo. And then once you have a couple of problem endos, and then I started saying after 10, 15 years of doing pretty, not all my endos, but a lot of them, I decided I don't need to do these anymore. They get away. I always joke the great thing about having young associates is when I get, I, I tell students all the time, it's not the dentistry. It's the person behind the teeth that is often the issue. I get a lot of referrals in my practice because I know every dentist in, in the metropolitan Boston metro area. They send me all their tough cases. Right. Um, I think for me, the, the thing that young dentists have to learn is if you get a patient that you really don't feel comfortable working on, 
be careful because all that money means nothing if you're miserable. Right. What does it take to make you miserable as a dentist? How many, how many miserable patients to make you miserable? One. One. You need that one miserable patient. And it doesn't mean you didn't do a good job. It means they're miserable. So I tell young dentists, be careful. Don't, don't do what you're not good at. If you're, I got the best advice from Murray Gable, who was a legend here. He died at, at the age of 100. He started, graduated dental school in 1921 or two. Um, so you can, you can guess, and he practiced until he was 88. I was in wow. his office. Murray said, I'll give you the best advice. Know what you shouldn't do. Um, and it was funny. That was, you know, that was a long, long time ago. But it was good advice. Know what you shouldn't do. Be a little yeah. careful that you don't get into trouble. I also go to court and I defend a lot of dentists. Never go up against them. It's always because they got involved in something they shouldn't have done. Either a patient they shouldn't have treated and they almost knew they shouldn't have or into a procedure where they really weren't as competent or confident as they should be. And once they got too far into it, you can't back out. Right. So, now, go back. Go. Back. I want to ask you about that specifically. So sure. that's one of those things where when you're sitting on those, that's a movie that you've, you're like, I've seen this movie before. Here oh we go. And the, everybody knows they shouldn't have gone down this path. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Cause they, they, I'll give you an example. One of the cases I got involved with the guy restored the guy's anterior teeth, uh, couldn't afford his posterior crowns. You know, the old story, I just want my fronts done. Now you grant guy with the big masseter muscles, worn dentition, flashing, do not do front teeth, do not increase in size of ledge position. This guy, young Dennis, increases because he's being a nice guy. Right. Oh, come on, doc. All right, I'll do it. So what happens is, of course, crack, snap. But worse than that, tooth teeth, tooth teeth snap off at the gum line. I get called in to be his expert. And the problem with that was he even said, I knew I shouldn't have. And I said to him, never do that without opening right. the vertical. So a full mouth reconstruction or don't do it. But you're a lot of times you get into trouble as a young dentist or an old dentist because you're trying to be nice and nice doesn't hold up in court. Right. Um, if you're nice the, the judge, they don't they don't care because you're the dentist. So I think for young dentists uh, listening to this, just be smart. Don't run. We've all made the mistake. I'm sure you have as well. We've all done that procedure where you're like, all right, Shouldn't have done it, but I was trying to be nice. And I always say, it doesn't matter. The other thing I always say, which is funny, and you know this as well, case note, case note, case note, because if you didn't write it, you didn't do it. Right. You can say to you, a great dentist, who I think you've interviewed, uh, asked me to help him on a case because he did a veneer case on a patient, told her that it was going to be a little tough because she had rotated laterals, whatever. One of them goes endo. The other one's aching her. She goes to another dentist who says, oh, he screwed up. He should never have done these veneers. And he never documented that he had given her the options and had discussed it, that with her. It was a long story. Not to get it. She walked in. He had a two-hour opening. He said, let's, we can do it now. This is a guy who's incredibly good dentist, but we all make those mistakes. Mm -hmm. He didn't write it. And I said to him, when I read his stuff, I said, we'll make up a name, Joe. I said, Joe, you never wrote down that you gave her these options. So I, you can't prove it. So I always said to dentists, if you wrote it, you did it. Yeah. He, and so for young dentists, be careful. Don't get involved with those cases you can't handle. And like you said, you're going to get to a point where you've got enough in the bank and you've got enough people waiting in line to come into your office. So you can say, you know what? I don't want to do any root canals or do what I do. You bring other dentists in and you give them those cases if they'll accept them, you know. And uh, Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Dr. Anderson, Dr. Kim, you could see the, the joy in their faces when they're doing what they love to do. So oh, it's absolutely I, I'm with you. I mean, I think. I think when you, when you do what you love, I think 
but you know, here's the issue. We, we're talking about like DSOs. I, and I don't know. I'm, I'm not picking. I think some of the DSOs are probably fine. But if you and I are young guys working at the DSO, I'm not sure we can say to our, our manager, right. I don't want to do that. Right. You're going to show up on my schedule. They want me to do it. You're doing it. So, I, and I'm not picking again because I'm not working in a DSO. Right. I just don't know what's going to happen down the road. Those kids aren't going to have that freedom. Yeah. They're, they're employees. They don't own the practice. They, and I don't know either. You know, I just think one of the things for any professional is self-awareness. You, As you grow, you learn, I'm not good at this. I don't enjoy this. Or I will tell you our favorite, um, some of our favorite dentists that we've ever coached are the ones that have been in DSOs. And maybe they had a good or not so good experience, but they know what they don't want. So it's back to the whole, you know, I know what I don't want. I, and they'll say to me, look, I want to work four days a week. I want a great life. I want to coach my kids. I need calmness. I need like, I need a life. That's it's what so they'll different. say. It's so different. I mean, here you and I are doing, I'm, I'm done today. I'm on this with you. Yeah. You're sitting doing this with me. I mean, we're a different generation. I do have respect at some level, having four um, kids in that age range. They have a different attitude about this. You're right. They don't mm-hmm. mind doing the four days. They want their vacation. You're, they want the, they get the healthcare paid. They don't want to deal with managing a practice. They want to go home at 4 35 o'clock and forget the day. There's a respect for that at some level. Um, my generation, we were workaholics. I mean, we yeah. worked all the time and I think I'm still, as my wife will tell you, a workaholic at some level. She jokes, you can never sit down. She always says, you just never, I can't get you to sit down. <laughs> That's uh, a whole nother episode. I'm going to have you. I, I want to know what you do. <laughs> like, cause you're always working on something. You're always thinking about something, you know, yeah, know. it's, it's a curse. <laughs> it's a, uh, I remember when I, I built a pergola one time, uh, my son was, I, it was a pretty elaborate pergola and my son looks at me and goes dad why'd you do this because we had a hammock under it and this one i was living out outside of the city i'm in the city now uh he said i said what are you talking about because dad you'll never use it because you just don't stop <laughs> so and he was right it was a beautiful pergola huh? and it had buying it looked great except i was always doing something i don't it's a personality thing everybody's yeah, different for I'm sure not, i'm not saying it's a good thing i think oh. it's, I'm, I'm just saying it's who i am but yeah yeah, and I, I think if you and I compared notes, I'm not the kind of person that could golf and do nothing. I just, I think I would just die if I did that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I love golf, but or but I don't see me doing it every day. Well, but. take me to a beach and have me sit for it. <laughs> like I'm on the beach for like 20 minutes. I'm up. I'm taking a walk. I'm, and, and my wife's like, "Will you just sit down? What is with you?" I said, "I, I don't know. I just have to get yeah. up." Now, when I don't feel, I'm worried that at some point I'm getting old. I may not be able to get up and move around. Then I'm going to be in trouble. That's my fear, which I think all of us at some point get nervous about. So for sure, Jerry, I have absolutely enjoyed this. I'm tef- Can I have you back? I want to cover our other things. All sure, right. we'll talk about materials. That's my background. My expertise is in dental materials, but yeah. Maybe we'll have a show. I'll get Cranham on here, Culp, and oh, then yeah. we'll we'll do, um, I'll actually ask people to submit their biggest challenges and questions on materials. And That's that great. would be fun. Do you That's know what a mean? great idea. And they're, they're both fabulous. Yeah. And Leanne Brady's another great one. Leanne's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you've got, we're lucky there are people like that in dentistry, frankly. There are. And they're all great people. Just great people. So Thank Jerry, you. I want people to follow you if they haven't. Like, how do I find out more about you? Um, what do I do? I, you know, I'm like, I, I don't have any reason. You follow me. I don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm doing a lot of courses. You know, I just came back from the CDA. I'm going to be doing, I always do the Yankee every year uh, since I was, 30 something. Um, 
I do the uh, Hinman. I did the Hinman. So, you know, just check the meetings. Um, we have a couple of CE programs at the dental school that we're running. We're going to be doing an occlusion course for a couple of days. I'm a big occlusion guy. Um, but there's nothing you need to do to make me happy. I'm, I'm fine. I mean, you know, if you want to follow me, I do have a website that I don't keep up so well. It's um, <laughs> drgerardkugel.com. And it shows uh, my lectures and what I do, but but don't worry about it. I don't need anybody to follow me if they don't want to. Just Jerry, you're the best. You're I truly a wife, hero. Just my wife has to follow me. Nobody. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll make sure. Yeah, then we got to make that point. So uh, <laughs> now this is awesome. And I'll just say, anybody listen, if you haven't seen Jerry speak, you got to go. It's entertaining. He's full of just great thought processes. You are truly a gift to this profession. So thanks for being on, brother. It was very sweet of you. Thanks, and it was yeah. fun doing this. So. It's easy. So stick around and say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show podcast. If you enjoyed today, which I know you did, just do us a favor, hit the share button, share with your friends. I'm going to have Jerry back. Send us a few suggestions. I get all these suggestions from you guys, and they're awesome. Like, I want to create some good stuff for you guys that you go, ooh, that made me think a little bit. Um, and uh, make your practice and your life better. But until we see you guys next time, keep watching the Best practices show. You guys have a good day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.